Now, you're one of our regular students for Self-Improvement Wednesday. Each week, you get to learn something new. Your lesson this week, the Royal Python. Your teacher is Ben Britton, Director of the Wildcat Conservation Centre, and he joins us in the studio with some slithery friends. Good afternoon. Afternoon, Richard. Yes. Now, tell us about your pals. Yeah, the Royal Python. They are um, a beautiful little snake, which you'll see firsthand uh, very soon. Uh, Africa's smallest python species. And so they're not a very big snake, which you'll be glad to know by the size of the container that I have here. Because um, you so, have brought in in the past. <laughs> some giants. <laughs> so I think we did a segment once on the giant snakes of the world and we had to get people to help us in the studio with it. Um, and when but, you, I remember then when you put the snake on my shoulders, it was actually, yeah. you know. Yeah, we did a, a live constriction um, yeah. lesson. Though these, these are beautiful little snakes, um, only up to about... Uh, just over a metre in length, so about 1.2 metres and only, say, two kilos in weight. And so, so your listeners get an idea. They're quite small, quite small little pythons. Yeah. What do they eat? How do they live in Africa? Uh, they're a terrestrial species, so they live on, on the ground, spend a lot of time in burrows. They're sort of found uh, central and west Africa. And so just small mammals, small birds, reptiles, those type of things, anything that fits into their, their prey size, if you like. So anything that they think, yes, I can swallow that, Regardless if it's a mammal, bird, or reptile, that's what they're going to go after. Radio announcers? So, <laughs> I don't know if you'll fit into their prey size, Richard. How dare, how dare you, sir? <laughs> um, the, uh, the, they've got an interesting response when they're under attack, don't they? Yeah, look, they, um, they're also called sometimes ball pythons because sometimes from a defensive point of view is they'll actually curl up into a, a tight ball and stick their head uh, in, in the middle of that ball. Um, I don't know whether it's a great defence because then it's just maybe not wanting to know what's coming. Mm-hmm. It's like the mm-hmm. old ostrich sticking its head in the sand, uh, not so good if a lion's about to grab you. But um, So, yeah, they'll go into this tight ball as a defensive me- mechanism. I guess it might work if they're down in a burrow system and, say, another species is coming down in there. They could try and make a tight ball and it might mm-hmm. block off the burrows. That's where they think maybe it works in a burrow situation more than if it's just out in the open. Okay, but you can almost move them around, can't you, when they're in that formation? Is that the right word? Yeah, you can pick them up as a, we might be able to do a demonstration today. Like you can literally hold them in, in a ball. They actually call themselves up into a ball. Obviously, they can move around like other pythons. They've got all those those muscles through the belly there, so they can move like a, most other snakes can. That's just a defensive mechanism that they've come up with that they think this could be a great little um, way of trying to stop predators maybe eating me. Okay. Now, I want to ask you about the life cycle and the eggs and all of that, but let's see them. Shall we see them? Yeah, yeah. What I might do, I've got two different ones here with me today. I've got one adult one and then a slightly smaller one. So I thought my, what I might do is pass the adult one across to you, if you like, if you're happy to hold... This one. So this one is a coloration of a ball python or a roll python, like we've been saying, that you'd expect to see across those parts of Africa. And so beautiful little snakes. And so I might gently try and pass him. And do I have over to, to make you? sure I don't get near the mouth end, or is there not? Uh, no, that's no, no look, problem. The, the, he, he's pretty good. He's uh, he's due for a feed, but um, he should be okay, <laughs> Richard. Um, but the main thing is, like any any snake, is just to support his stomach. So support his belly. So just get your hands right underneath him, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've, I've been ha- I've been ha- I've been handling a, I've you. been handling a baby earlier today, yeah. so I know all about supporting necks. <laughs> yep, supporting you. Like, and then basically all you got to do is act like a a moving branch or a, a stump mm. and let the snake move around where he wants to move around. Okay, so he's, I've got my hands together in, in, as if I'm sort of put my hands out for, for money or something like that for arms and he's curled up in a kind of, uh, looks a 
Oh, a little bit like a, a dollar symbol or something oh, like look, that. My one's going into more of a ball, Richard. Yeah, and his uh, his his um, neck is off my f- off my fingers and kind of roaming around, really. So is he looking for something, wanting he, for he something? Just, if you watch that tongue, like all snakes, you've got that forked tongue. So that tongue's just going to be coming in and out. And what he's doing is just picking up scent particles in the air, taking oh. them back inside the mouth to just process them on the Jacobson's organ. So he's basically just seeing if there happens to be any food about yeah, it's such a weird experience, isn't it, this cold skin? And the neck is so fine, and as he moves around on my fingers, sort of searching the air. Yeah, and, and you can see underneath the lights here in the studio that iridescent sheen that they get, he's getting mm-hmm. off him. And that's mm-hmm. the, the biggest misnomer about snakes is people see that sheen and think, yuck, they're wet and slimy. But as you can feel, he, he's very dry, very smooth, very dry, very clean animals. Obviously, they, they shed their skin to keep themselves nice and clean. Yeah. And that iridescent sheen you've got is, is quite beautiful. Now, let, let me put him up so tomorrow I can take a photograph, especially of the, of the eyes. Uh, can you describe those eyes? Because they're sort of big, bulbing out eyes, aren't they? Yeah, look, like, a, like all snakes, got no eyelids. He's and, coming towards me now. And so the, the eyes are always, always open. Interesting thing that we call it the, the scale that goes across the eye is a spiel. And he actually, when he sheds his skin, he'll actually take that covering off the eye at the same time. Yeah. Now, so he's, he's moved his head. Instead of going off towards you, he's now coming back towards me. He's sort of I, reaching I think, out think, towards my he, face. Do you think he likes you, Richard? Does he like me or is he <laughs> hungry for me? Um, tell me about the, the, the life cycle because they have a number of eggs, don't they? Yeah, look, a female uh, royal python will lay up to about a dozen dozen eggs and like most pythons, they'll actually um, incubate them by wrapping around down inside that burrow we've been talking about. So she'll lay about a dozen eggs, wrap around them and then she'll, and she'll shiver and that friction will actually cause a bit of warmth which will incubate the eggs. And so once the babies hatch out, like most snakes, there's not too much parental care. The babies have to slither off and look after themselves straight away. Uh, and a lot of them obviously would be predated on by other birds, other reptiles, other animals, mongoose, etc. that want to feed on baby snakes. Mm. And when do they, when do, you said they, they, they leave pretty early and set up their own life. When, when do they start breeding? It comes down a lot on size as well as age. And so once a little royal python gets to a couple of feet in length, and so say maybe 80 centimetres, 90 centimetres, then they can start breeding. So that could be in a couple of years. They could even start breeding themselves. If they grow quite slowly and there's not much food about, then it might take them longer to get to that size, and so there might be five or six before they actually start, start mm. breeding. Endangered? Look, they're, they're not at the moment, though a lot of them are exported out of that area of Africa uh, for the pet trade, Le- legally, I should say. It, I, was, I was fascinated to read, they estimate over the last 20 years, 4 million of these pythons have been taken out of West Africa for the pet industry. And so if you're taking 4 million of any species out of a certain environment, I guess it's something to monitor. And so I don't think you'd want to keep those numbers up going forward because um, although they're a beautiful little snake and there might be lots in there at the moment, we've found with lots of other animals, that can change very, very quickly. It's, um, and so, yeah, great little animals, um, obviously native to Africa over there, though we've just got to make sure we do protect them going forward. One of the interesting facts, Richard, royal python, they believe it comes from Cleopatra, used to wear these as jewellery. Oh, right. Because so they're that's the around. royal. So that's the royal because she used to wear them in her hair, around her wrists, around her neck, and because they just curl up in those little tight little hold-on, 
it was her bit of natural jewellery for her. So that's the name Royal Pipe. That's where okay. it comes Well, she from. had quite a snake history, didn't she? She <laughs> yeah. didn't like an ass, ass, <laughs> as, uh, as they used to do in various comedy sketches, didn't they? Now, it's funny. He's actually, the, the tongue is hitting my skin in a way, and it yeah. feels curious. Yeah, and again, just touching. So, like, obviously, if you'd been, say, say the segment before me, you'd been playing with mice or mm-hmm. playing with little lizards or a little bird or something. And then the snake's going to process that smell very, very differently. Though at the moment, what he's doing is smelling you and going, okay, that's Richard. I can't swallow Richard. He's way too big out of my um, size, size range. Do you? Yeah. <laughs> the second time I mentioned that, isn't it? Apologies, <laughs> Richard. And, um, well, Christmas and all. And, um, and then he just leaves you alone. So you can see he just moves and then moves off in another direction. Look at the tongue now. I mean, describe it for people. It's going, it's like, a, it's, it's so fine and yet it comes right out. I don't know. Yeah. You know, it's only probably a couple of centimetres, but it's almost as long as half his head. Yeah, and what that what that's doing is picking up the, the tiniest scent particles. Like it has that forked tongue, which helps them pick up any particle around and takes it back across the roof of the mouth where it's a past the Jacobson's organ. That what helps tell the snake what it's actually what's actually smelling. But um, beautiful, you can see just slowly making his way down, slithering off your hand down yeah, towards your, yeah. your keyboards. Yeah, yeah. I I'm, might just, do you want me to, I could just leave him here for the afternoon, come back and pick him up later. Actually, Ben, I might give him back right now. <laughs> Let me lean forward. How are you going to do this? I'll just take You got him? Co- yes. You got him? You got yes. him? Oh, good. Okay. I've got two of them now, so. you got two snakes. You can see the, you can see the colour difference there and they're, between you, the two And they're both, the, you know, the, you would call them both royal pythons, they're even both, though they look so different. Both royal pythons, are, they're actually probably the most commonly kept you can't keep them in Australia because they are an exotic species, but probably the most commonly kept python um, around the world. So in America, millions of children keep these as pets, and they, and they come now in all different colour varieties, but I think the natural colour variety like these guys is pretty spectacular. Yeah, very good. Very nice lesson. Thank you very much. What a thrill. There you go. There's Ben Britton and a couple of pals. Uh, you can see the pictures online. We'll pop them on their Facebook page if you want to see Uh, what they look like. Uh, Ben is the director of the Wildcat Conservation Centre. He'll be back with another Self-Improvement Wednesday in not too many weeks. Uh, You can also listen again online, of course, at abc.net.au slash sydney and uh, find the details of how to subscribe to the free Self-Improvement Wednesday podcast. Next week, urban geographer Kurt Iverson on the hidden physical geography of the cloud. (laughs) 